I'm Dan Masterson, host of Strategy Talk, where we take a unique view of world events. We report news as history. With me today is the editor of StrategyPage.com and well-known military author, Jim Dunnigan. Associate editor and syndicated columnist, Austin Bay, also joins us. Welcome, Austin and Jim. thought we'd talk uh, about a couple of topics today. Austin, what you call the Russian Mercs, what, what is that all about? Well, I, I, I'll tell you the, the person to talk to on this, uh, because he's been following it. It's not a new phenomenon, is, is, is Jim. But when I, when I mention Russian Mercs within the, last, within the last three or four months, it's about uh, the little green men, which is what they referred to in uh, eastern Ukraine and, and Crimea, uh, the, who are really uh, Russian soldiers, some of them probably uh, Spetsnaz uh, special forces, uh, and security forces for the uh, for an, in intelligence agencies who are uh, working with uh, in the in the case of uh, of Ukraine uh, rebels, providing firepower, uh, training, uh, uh, communications, and really. In, and really, in some cases, uh, very thinly disguised uh, Russian Russian infantry units, for the most part. But sometimes uh, we, for instance, uh, surface air missile when the shoot the shoot down of that uh, Malaysian uh, air airliner. Uh, they cover operate under quote unquote plausible deniability, so that Putin and the Kremlin can say. Oh, that's 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 not our people, uh, but they are, and, and there's a couple of Russian mercenary outfits that uh, Jim has uh, written about that hire individuals to uh, t take on these missions. But within the last uh, th uh, three weeks, uh, Dan, uh, we've seen we we know that they've been present in Syria, but uh, there was an incident the uh, first week of February. Uh, February 7th, February 8th is the uh, date, the two dates that I've seen crop up, up for this, where essentially a uh, Russian mercenary serving on what amounts to a mechanized, a battalion-sized mechanized uh, infantry uh, uh, task force based on the reports of types of vehicles, number of vehicles, number of men, uh, and the mercenaries operating in the way the the uh, audio because uh, uh, and, and as a website called polygraph.info uh, got leaked a number of uh, audio uh, re actually they sound like uh, taps of long phone calls from Syria to, uh, to, uh, uh, to Russia and for what it's worth polygraph.info and uh, strategy page readers go check it out it's a combination uh, effort by Voice of America and Radio Free Europe, which are both U.S. supported. Uh, VOA is a U.S. institution, and RFE is strongly supported by uh, uh, the United States uh, of America. So my guess is is that those audio <laughs> audio tapes were uh, leaked to them by uh, American intelligence or the or the Pentagon. But you, based on what they uh, say on, on those reports, plus uh, statements from uh, U.S. CENTCOM, uh, our command at Pentagon, uh, it was a battalion mechanized uh, task force uh, manned uh, either 
both by Lebanese Hezbollah or Russian mercenaries, both, really, it looks like, like both, and they attempted to attack uh, an American uh, military position on the Euphrates that this uh, U.S. force uh, was dug in uh, along with uh, some uh, Syrian Kurd uh, uh, fighters. Uh, it uh, was, uh, it's been described as an oil field, but also an oil production facility. And in one of the translations of, of one of the uh, tapes, uh, you know, I, re I read what the uh, Russian was saying, that uh, that was their target uh, to uh, take uh, that uh, oil producing uh, facility. And uh, they, uh, you go through the, the, story that's come out i would i'm guessing it's 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 the pentagon in fact it's a pentagon spokesman or centcom spokesman i mean centcom, uh, centcom spokesman said that uh, three weeks before this uh, assault occurred uh, the us we were telling the russians we're aware that you're building up forces here and you're not to uh, approach this this is where we uh, you know we've got a I didn't use the word red line, Dan, but the guy got the implication. We're, we we are watching you. And when they made decided to make the move, um, a lot of the mercenaries uh, mercenaries died. I'll let Jim comment on what that may mean in, in Russia or for for uh, Mr. Putin. Uh, and that, that we, based on the, both the Russian after action audio and what I've been able to piece together from uh, open press sources, but also the Pentagon CENTCOM uh, uh, comments on it, uh, that mech task force rolled right into a kill zone, a real fire sack where they got hit by uh, artillery, missiles, bombs, and uh, it looks like three to four Apaches were on their on their flanks, as one commenter I saw uh, on Instapundit because I put a link up to the audios on on Instapundit. It was a, said he was a retired chief petty officer. He was saying what those uh, attack helicopters were doing was hurting the uh, and that's the word he used. It's a good it's a good word too, hurting the uh, Russian armored vehicles, and in other words, keeping them. A pin down on the flanks so that the uh, bombs and uh, missiles and uh, artillery could uh, do their work in uh, inside the kill zone. And uh, based on again on what I've been able to piece together, there were no American or Kurd uh, uh, casualties. So Russian mercs, Russian mercs, why would they launch an attack? Uh, I'll give you my theory after Jim r fills in all the details. But, and Jim, Jim really does know. Uh, well, I sh shouldn't say that. Jim is well informed about the, these the the uh, Russian uh, uh, use of uh, plausibly deniable operatives in in, in their operations in um, Eastern Europe, Middle East. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, the uh, Russian uh, military contractors grew out of the um, the uh, use of uh, former KGB and Russian military personnel as um, 
you know, contractors individually in small groups uh, after the uh, Cold War ended. When the Soviet Union collapsed, the uh, the, the Soviet armed forces, uh, which included the, you know, the KGB, they had their own army, in effect, uh, to watch the regular army. Um, it, it collapsed. Uh, Putin and, and his his uh, key advisors, as it were, were all former you know, KGB officers. Um, and uh, one of the other casualties of the uh, of the meltdown, which basically eliminated 80 percent of the personnel in the uh, in the Cold War era, you know, Soviet military. Um, it um, it even cut back on a lot of elite units, which were by our standards, you know, pretty good. They show themselves to be very effective in Afghanistan. Um, and this included a lot of airborne, a lot of pilots. You know, the Air Force could no longer fly. And suddenly a lot of uh, pilots, especially, you know, transport pilots, helicopter pilots. And these began popping up all over the world. You know, if a drug dealer or a, an oil company or anybody, you know, in an out-of-the-way place, you know, needed helicopters uh, it, with pilots and, and maintenance crews in a hurry, you call the Russian company. There were several legitimate ones, a couple illegitimate ones. They were basically running guns to anybody you could pay to anywhere in the world using old, you know, uh, Russian transports. Uh, uh, Africa was a uh, was a popular uh, area, uh, but also in the Middle East, wherever they could get away with it. Um, and uh, they actually did humanitarian work at times. They also worked for peacekeeping and uh, and human and disaster relief. Again, if you needed air transport in a hurry, no red tape, you call these guys up, you wire them the money, bingo, they got the, the people on the ground to do whatever you need done. And that was the problem. They'll do whatever you need done. <laughs> they had no code of conduct, as it were, except uh, insofar as uh, you tell us what you want, uh, we'll tell you how much you pay us, we do it. Simple as that. Um, the, uh, the What they call the Wagner Group, uh, was founded in, uh, uh, by a, a guy who's not named Wagner. That was simply his, his code name, you know, in uh, uh, you know, in the uh, in military communications. Uh, uh, he had retired from the Spetsnaz in I think 2013. A guy named uh, uh, Uskutkin, and um, he uh, he worked for another uh, contracting group, which was old school. In other words, they basically would provide security, like a lot of American and British firms would, uh, you know, for oil fields, for uh, uh, for foreign aid groups in, in areas that were were dangerous and they couldn't get their their convoys to unless they had some guys with guns. Off the coast of Somalia, eventually you had these these uh, mostly Western. Um, Contractor security group contractors who would provide you know experienced armed men to get on your your ships as they pass through Somalian borders and basically make sure the ship was not taken and none of the ships were ever lost hundreds or thousands of of uh, ships uh, took advantage of those resources so these guys delivered the the American contracting groups uh, uh, Blackwater was uh, I think. Was was famous or infamous? Uh, they had long provided, you know, again, mainly security services. Um, but the Russians took it one step further with the Wagner Group uh, when they when uh, they wanted to invade uh, uh, Ukraine and take Crimea. Uh, these were where the little green men, as civilians, basically, uh, not Russian spetsnaz, uh, you know, first showed up, um, and that that dovetailed in with another problem. The majority of Russians 
one conscription gone. Now, Russia had had one form of conscription, one form or another peacetime conscription since the 19th century, and it was very unpopular. Um, and a lot of Russians felt that, you know, with the Soviet Union gone, why have we still got conscription? We can't afford a large army. Um, and, and actually, a lot of people in the Russian military agreed that they had studied what the Americans and the Western forces had done um, in the, uh, especially in the first Gulf War in 1990-91. And they and the Chinese were rather shocked at the disparity between the, uh, uh, the Western forces who trained and equipped themselves a certain way and the Iraqi forces who basically were trained and equipped with Russian equipment and Russian tactics. And, I, and granted, even though the Russians would discount, you know, the, 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 you know, the skill, as it were, of the Arab troops, which was always a factor, uh, it was a 100-hour war. I mean, we just blew them away. And uh, they realized that warfare had changed. And uh, it, it was also noted, of course, that all the American troops, in fact, most of the troops there were uh, volunteers. Not There were very few conscripts. I don't, there may not have been any at all, for that matter, because most Western countries have sent contingents. They sent, you know, the, the, the groups that composed primarily volunteers. And, of course, another problem everybody was having, well, especially in, in Europe, throughout Europe, was that nobody wanted to send con uh, 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 conscripted troops overseas. In other words, the conscripts, people would tolerate conscripts for defensive purposes, you know, for the, for the basically the army to defend the republic or whatever. Um, but basically because of World War I and World War II, which were both begun with largely conscript armies, and uh, most of them got killed in the first year, uh, you know, Europeans in general were had it, had, had it with, with conscripts in offensive wars. Um, and, uh, and, and this, was, this is a fundamental factor which most Americans don't understand because our losses were so much lower in World War I and World War II Another, for example, the United States, for every American killed in World War II, there were like 80 or 90 Russians killed. And they and their population was only, what, like 20% larger than the United States. So, I mean, I calculated after the, the true numbers came out uh, in the 1990s of the Russian losses uh, uh, that 18% of their population died. 18% of, of everyone you know, mostly men. I mean, there were some some years, draft years, you know, as it were, where there were hard, over 95% of the young men, you know, died, didn't return from that war. Uh, I mean, this was this was this was a tragic and a immensely emotional, you know, experience for Russians. Something Americans never quite understood, and probably most don't to this day. And Putin, even though he's turning Russia back, he started turning Russia back into a police state had to pay attention to this because he realized, you know, the one thing you got to say about the KGB guys, these were the best and the brightest. You know, if you wanted to make it um, and have a powerful position, do whatever you wanted, maybe make a little money on the side, you got into the KGB. Uh, and he did. He was a young up-and-comer and what have you. And uh, and he was working. He was at, at, at the end of the, the, the Cold War. He was assigned in, in Eastern Germany. So he could see the difference between East Germany and West Germany. You know, he had a good idea of what Russia was up against when the Soviet Union collapsed. They were in deep doo-doo, as the saying goes. Um, and uh, and uh, we, we reported on this, you know, since Strategy Page began in 99. 
you know, the, the trials and tribulations of the of the Russian military. Um, and, uh, for example, right now, about 30 percent of the Russian military, which is still understaffed, they can't get enough uh, conscripts, A, because draft dodging is, you know, is socially uh, responsible in many groups, you know, in Russia. You can't crack down on it too hard because you'll have another revolution, as the Russians like to say. Um, and uh, And there are just fewer Russians because the birth rate, you know, was plummeting at the end of the Cold War, and it took a, it took a huge, uh, you know, a plunge uh, after the Soviet Union dissolved, because most of the, the the new children were coming from non-Slavic areas. In other words, when the Soviet Union disappeared, uh, Russia, the Russia, in effect, lost half its population, and the half of the population it lost was mainly the Asiatic, you know, uh, groups who were having the most children. So the Slavs were not reproducing. In fact, from 1991, since the the establishment of current Russia, the population has been shrinking. Uh, And now they've managed to, you know, one thing Putin realized he had to do was he had to improve economic conditions enough so Russians would have children again. I mean, it was as simple as that. So uh, if Putin was going to do any overseas adventuring, involving military power, he had to, A, not use any conscripts, which meant the majority, you know, the majority of, of Russian forces are still conscripts. You don't want to be there uh, for the most part. Um, and whatever, and, and, and of course, any Russian troops, whether they were contract soldiers uh, uh, or, or volunteers to go overseas, a conscript could volunteer to go overseas, but that was often, you know, a, a, a facade for people who were being coerced or tricked into doing it. Uh, as few as possible should be killed. So the Russians make a big deal that since they have been in Syria and, and since you know mid uh, 2015, uh, they've only lost 50 Russian military personnel. Yes, but as we point out, because we, we basically follow that, you know, we do updates several times a year. Um, it's really closer to well, it's now probably closer to 400. But until you know early February, with that debacle, you know, in the in the Euphrates River Valley. Um, uh, the Russians had lost, you know, about 200 people, most of them uh, uh, from the mercenary groups um, the, uh, and the Wagner group. But at the same time, this is not this is this is not reflect poorly on the Wagner group, because one thing they again, these people are are usually veterans. Or they're almost always veterans, uh, veterans of elite units like the Spetsnaz uh, and the intelligence services. So these are people like like the American Special Forces. They have a better idea of what's going on on the ground than anybody in military intelligence or, you know, the active duty troops, um, which has always been the case with the American Special Forces and always caused friction between the Special Forces and the regular army. Who are these know-it-alls who wear beards and don't dress up in spiffy uniforms? There's always been that friction. But at the same time, uh, one advantage of having a you know a secret police uh, officer running the country, which is the case in Russia, um, is that he understands that. He may not like it, but you can go tell him that, and you say, "All right, Dan, but what can we do about it?" And of course, that's a downward spiral because the things you can do are even more and more you know outlaw type operations. The Wagner Group, for example, <coughs> has a special a disciplinary unit. And uh, and we've report again reported this several times. I think in one one case the the, the on the Russian update, uh, we, the headline, so to speak, was 
two guys walk into your office with a flamethrower. And that was based upon a true disciplinary action that was taken against a, uh, a, a, a Russian uh, uh, mercenary group, uh, pro-Russian, you know, uh, militia in, you know, the, the, the rebels in, in eastern Ukraine are by and large bought and paid for by the Russians. Uh, and a lot of them aren't even from Ukraine. Um, and uh, because most people in, in what they call the Donbass, that portion of eastern Russia, even if they are ethnic Russians, if they're Ukrainian citizens, they'd rather stay Ukrainian citizens. They, they've seen what life is like in Russia. And as bad as Ukraine is, it's, it's better than, than what's going on in Russia. So they basically have to bring in these mercenaries to enforce discipline and to keep the revolution going. But they're basically losing because they've lost the support of the population um, and they mobilized the U Ukrainian government. Now, in Syria, it was a different situation. The Iranians took the lead in bringing in mercenaries. The Iranians have basically bought and paid for something like 60,000, 70,000 mercenaries. Now, these consist of uh, the, the, the most, the most, how should I put it? The most effective forces are probably the Lebanese Hezbollah, which Iran has been uh, basically paying for and providing weapons and training since the 1980s, this, when the civil war in uh, in was going on in uh, in Lebanon, and um, then the Afghans. Now these, the Afghan brigade, which is, is I think over 20,000 people have been recruited for this. Uh, its current strength is less than half of that, you know, actually on the ground. Um, recruited from Afghan refugees from the from the uh, from Afghanistan, mainly from the descendants of refugees who fled the Russian invasion in the 1980s. So this is irony upon irony, uh, you know, when it comes to Russia. Um, but these were by and large Shia, uh, you know, Afghans, and uh, you know. Uh, Iranians didn't like them because they got mixed up in the drug trade. There's a lot of there's basically, and again, we reported on this regularly. There's been a war going on in eastern Iran between the the uh, Iranian security forces and the armed, uh, you know, the uh, the armed smugglers, the Afghan smugglers. Now, in, in inside of inside of um, Afghanistan, the Taliban, who are basically the bought and paid for security force for the, uh, many of the drug gangs. Uh, they will escort the smugglers to the border. But once you hit the border, uh, you're basically, you know, you're on your own. Uh, and the drug gangs will have their own weapons. They have basically their own mercenaries who will cross the border. Sometimes these guys are Afghans who, have been, who are living in Iran. Anyway, Iran got the clever idea, and this is why everybody in that part of the world is, is afraid of the, Af of the Iranians. They said, hey, look. We can turn these these refugees into sit loyal citizens by saying, "Look, if you join this 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 uh, this militia to 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 basically fight for us in Syria to protect Islam, et cetera, et cetera, uh, we will pay you good money, and we will there will be death benefits. We will have health care if you get injured and what have you." <clears throat> and I knew they had to deliver on this because this is the age of the internet. And even Afghan refugees, you know, in eastern Iran have access to the yeah, smartphones. Um, and um, and if you if you fulfill your contract again, more contract soldiers, uh, you and your family will get residency permits, maybe even citizenship. <clears throat> now the other irony of this was a lot of those uh, a lot of the Afghan Shia. Are uh, Hasbrati? They're basically descendants of the Mongols who came into the 
um, uh, basically conquered or, or wandered through uh, Afghanistan several times to and from other places and, and, and raised a hell of a ruckus. I mean, people who say you know, Afghanistan was never conquered don't know much about history. The Mongols would conquer a place, but then they, they had accountants along. They'd always have accountants. You know, the, the Mongols were not stupid. I mean, that's another myth. They were very clever guys. Um, and they would do the numbers and they'd say, you know, this place isn't worth it. And so they'd leave. But some would stay behind. Uh, they basically became, you know, feudal lords, as it were, mostly in, in central um, uh, uh, Afghanistan. But during the um, during the, the uh, 1980s, when they were fighting the Russians, uh, a lot of these guys, you know, just got out of town because the, the Taliban were a Sunni operation who thought Shia were heretics and they'd attack them. Uh, so the Iranians took advantage of this and they said, look, Iran is, you know, 97 percent Shia. Uh, and uh, you, you can be legal here, you can be legal, law-abiding, we'd like that, uh, citizens, but you have to basically serve. Now, this is an all, you know, routine. Uh, you know, we do it with, uh, with uh, you know, uh, 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 naturalized citizens, you know, foreigners uh, in the United States. If they're here legitimately, they can join the military, and after three or four whatever years of service, uh, they can accelerate their their process of becoming naturalized citizens, um, and uh, and so the 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 Iranians basically put together by uh, basically paying uh, pro uh, uh, Assad, pro government, uh, you know, non-Sunni militias in um, uh, in Iran. They and and they're and they're, they're they're mercenaries from the Hezbollah and they're Afghans. And that's actually they had smaller contingents from uh, of Shia from uh, from Iraq and pa- and uh, and uh, and Pakistan and a few other countries. Uh, they basically put together a force of close eighty thousand troops, who were uh, who were well better disciplined than just about anybody except a few thousand uh, military contractors that the Russians had there. So that was the decisive manpower force. But what the Russians built brought was air power, something the Iranians didn't have. Uh, and technical and logistics, uh, they could bring supplies into the uh, ports on the on the Syrian coast, and they have set up two bases. The Iranians have set up several bases. Uh, most of them are very small, uh, and these are more uh, more frequently getting bombed by the uh, Israelis because the, the you know the Iranians make their secret of the fact that they are there primarily to destroy Israel. Now, when somebody says that. And they've been, they've been financing, uh, you know, terrorism, terrorist attacks against you, you know, for decades. You got to take it seriously. So the uh, <clears throat> the Russians are basically trying to use minimal forces, and and the armed guys are basically these uh, the Wagner Group, you know, uh, Mercs, uh, contract military contractors, and of course that the 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 incident on the Euphrates River that attack. Um, that was basically, and as I believe you, when you listen to those uh, uh, those recordings of the uh, you know the, the the contractors talking about their experience, the survivors, um, you realize that you know they say that you know basically uh, our bosses, mainly Putin, uh, <laughs> they wanted us to go and and give Trump a bloody nose. In other words, grab that. Uh, chase the Americans out with minimal casualties if possible, um, and basically seize the oil fields, which um, uh, ISIL had been using for, as a cash cow, you know, since, oh, I guess around uh, t- uh, 2014, 2015, smuggling it out through uh, <coughs> Turkey. Um, 
and uh, uh, Syria doesn't have much in the way of oil, but what they have is is valuable. It's the only resource, you know, really valuable resource in the country, um, and uh, it's very symbolic. So uh, he was told, you know, the Merc, the surviving Mercs. Uh, report that they were told that we're just going to go in there and, and chase the Yankees out, raid the oil field, and be declared, you know, another you know, victory for the motherland. Um, and of course, the Americans resisted. And as he put it, the Yankees, you know, showed, you know, made their point, as it were, by killing most of us. Uh, now, the weapons we have there is a lot of uh, MLRS, you know, the, uh, the GPS guided rockets with a non GPS backup, less accurate, but it does the job. And as one Marine uh, <clears throat> artillery battery of six guns, 155 millimeter, you know, towed or, or airdropped, as it were, howitzers, um, they killed more ISIL than any other American force, you know, had in, during the entire war. Because basically they were using these new uh, 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 GPS guided shells, cheaper than the, the, the ones we've been using since, I think, what, so 708. Um, the pallet, the, uh, what do you call it? Well, anyway, they... Um, you just screw in the fuse, you know, the uh, the guidance device, and bingo, you've got a guide shell. And these Marines, they, literally, they wore out some of their howitzers. They fired so many rounds. Um, and now they left, but, you know, uh, they've been replaced. And again, it doesn't take too many. You know, you, you got the GPS coordinates of the road, these, these uh, the, the, the contractors, the, uh, the the Russian forces coming in on. Uh, and of course, the, the you can call and fire. Uh, you know, the the artillery is good for about forty kilometers, but the the uh, the uh, MLRS, the guided rockets, are good for about seventy kilometers. So whatever assets we have in there, plus the Apache gunships, plus I think they also had uh, a, a a you know a fixed wing, you know, a, a AC one thirty uh, gunship uh, doing it. Uh, and God knows what else. I mean, you could have had, also had, you know, uh, you know, F 15 East, you know, firing, uh, you know, uh, using longer range GPS guided munitions. Uh, you could, in other words, the, the, the bottom line is the Americans, we had no problem concentrating a lot of firepower on that one column and doing great damage. Now, the problem, as we've reported, of how many people got killed, that's another problem the Russians had. Now, they and most other modern armies have West, Western armies, including the Israelis, have had a hell of a problem with keeping secrets when all the soldiers have smartphones. Now, the Russian solution, which was announced, I, I don't know if it was just before or just after the, you know, the, the, the February you know, uh, massacre, uh, was that they are, they are, they are basically uh, knocking out all 2G and 3G, all, all smartphone uh, grade. Uh, cell phone communications. If you want to use a cell phone in, in areas they control, you got to use an old flip phone, which means no pictures. Now, that, that solves one, if it works, that solves one embarrassing problem because a lot, a lot of these mercenaries or even Russian soldiers there, they were sending selfies back there, posting to Facebook or whatever, and they were letting all the friends back home know in a public venue on the internet uh, how things were going, you know, in Syria uh, or, you know, Ukraine, which was supposed to be under even tighter, you know, security and what have you. Um, and there were groups in Russia and outside of Russia who simply, you know, collected all that information and were able to get a good idea of how many people were there, how many were getting hurt. Uh, because, again, because to attract 
people to this 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 mercenary service, these these military contractors, you had to guarantee or convince the families or the individuals that a you would be paid, uh, there would be death benefits, you know, medical benefits, and if you were killed, your body would be returned for burial. This is a big deal, and and even Putin understood you gotta do this. Now you can crack down on the internet. He passed laws. They can get you know a sta- a crime against the state. You know, treason to report on 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 any military activities. But you know the internet outlaw outlaw you know central. Uh, people do what the hell they want to do. God bless freedom. Uh, and uh, and and the um, and one thing the Russians and. Uh, and throughout the Middle East, people, even the even the uh, the Islamic terrorists, adopt is communicating. They can't. They got. They got to basically, you know, uh, uh, get online and post, you know, what they're doing. Uh, and this has been a bonanza for the intelligence services. Um, even China has a problem with it. Uh, cell phone photos are the best source of intel to to come around for for God knows when. Um, so. You know, the Russians made a valiant effort to say, oh, it was only five Russian, no Russian soldiers were killed, basically trying to say, hey, you know, they were mercenaries, they were contractors. Um, but, you know, eventually they'll come out, even though, uh, as one mercenary put it, uh, the government is, is doing the unprecedented thing of not sending some of the bodies back and saying they were lost. Now, some of them may indeed have been lost, blown to pieces, burned up, and what have you. But that's going to cause another scandal, which strategy paper report on. Um, we take the long view, and uh, eventually it'll come out the scope of the disaster. Um, what are the Russians going to do? There's not much they can do because the problem is, and always has been, they have not got the support of the Russian population to send a lot of military force overseas. Just as Iranian Iran found out at the end of uh, you know 19, uh, 2017 when they had the the the, the uh, large scale you know protests against you know overseas adventures as it were, people understand that that's costly. And for the for the uh, Iranian operation, granted they were paying you know on average uh, maybe seven eight hundred dollars a month for the, the various mercenaries and happened. You got 80,000, you got medical care, you got death benefits. It adds up. It's billions of dollars. And Iran, the economy never made this big bounce back. The government had been promising after the 2015 treaty that eliminated most of the economic sanctions and people are angry. They're angry in Russia for the same reason. The price of oil plunged. They can understand that. But then with all these overseas adventures, well, mainly the Ukraine, then Syria, Russia's got a whole bunch of sanctions on it, and you know the the ruble, you know, <laughs> suddenly has plunged more than half, fifty uh, percent in value. So Russians are actually getting a lot poorer, and they don't like this. And so you you know you know democracy in action, so to speak, even though it isn't a true democracy, you can't vote the the SOBs out, but you can protest in other ways. Uh, and we report this, and that's what's happening. So the the loss in that battle was more than just, you know, a couple of hundred, you know, uh, Russian uh, uh, mercenaries getting killed or wounded. Uh, it's going to reverberate, you know, throughout Russia. It's a big deal. And it may indeed have a fundamental impact on how the uh, the Syrian civil war, which is still unresolved, is going to, you know, play out. So that's why a lot of people are making noise about it. Uh, Dan, Go let ahead, me make Austin. a... Uh, Jim's uh, point about what are, what are the Russians going to do? Uh, just today, as we record this, 
Putin has decided to uh, tout uh, Russian nuclear capabilities and say our missiles can strike any place uh, the USS forces and can strike uh, the uh, U.S. Uh, homeland, U.S. mainland, and America can't stop it. Uh, now, is that directly tied to uh, the events the first week uh, of uh, of February in uh, Syria? I don't know, but I would tell you now that all this information is coming out and coming out through uh, Western Western sources. And the Russians, even though they're one of two of their senior ministers, one of them, I believe, is a foreign uh, was uh, a deputy foreign minister. Uh, the other one, I forget which ministry she was in, but they made statements. No, that none of this happened. Uh, too much evidence coming out. And as Jim said, uh, the many people in Russia are aware that these uh, mercenary forces are deployed and enough of them are aware now that that something happened and slowly some of the bodies are coming back. Uh, so Putin has to react. Uh, that's one way to react, to tell America, hey, we can destroy you. Well, it's a rhetorical, uh, rhetorical uh, uh, way to uh, try to deflect criticism from him that Russian weakness was exposed by this uh, absolutely uh, devastating defeat, uh, a Russian-led, I'm going to, Russian-led, Russian-commanded, Putin-ordered attack. It was, uh, the, the unit was really a Russian unit, uh, attempting to assault uh, a deployed American unit. And if uh, Jim said it was to give uh, Trump a bloody nose, uh, another way to put that is to probe American reaction. One of the uh, reports I read that was sourced to uh, uh, the American military <clears throat> said that American observers reported that at least one of the uh, Russian vehicles got within 300 meters of one of their the forward positions. Now I don't. It, the implication is is that the U.S. forces are uh, on the. Uh, eastern side uh, of the uh, of the Euphrates, but there's a bridge that uh, there that there are pictures uh, pictures of this bridge that it's uh, has uh, pontoons and knowing the way that U.S. forces uh, deploy, you're going to have sensors and patrols uh, positioned to watch and approach on the the opposite uh, river bank, and I'm I'm talking about on the ground as well as over, overhead surveillance. There was another report. Now, two, there were actually two, one from one of the Russian uh, Russian tapes, but also a report sourced the American military that as the Russians approached, U.S. pulled a, raised the, the flag that they had there higher so you would, you know, if you can see it, there's an American flag uh, uh, up there. Plus, there were warnings, don't move any closer. Now, the defeat, if they were probing it, they were already getting reactions even uh, three weeks before the assault saying, we're watching you. What is it they wanted? Did they want to see if the U.S. was going to shoot? Well, one thing Putin should have figured out after Trump uh, authorized the cruise missile, Tomahawk land attack missile strike, 
on uh, Syrian Air Force assets after the sarin attack uh, last year in April of, of 2017 is that, yes, especially a Pentagon led by someone like uh, Jim Mattis, is the commander, American officers uh, in the area on the ground. And I'm going to say that, of course, you've got the commander of the uh, American force that is on the ground, but the way that our surveillance and intelligence assets are integrated, you would have a a more senior officer somewhere, maybe not right there uh, uh, on the spot, but maybe not having the exact same uh, clarity of the soldiers in the position, but enough of the information to know that these guys are coming. I'm talking about the Russians are coming. The Russians themselves say they were in three columns, though some of the descriptions that I have, again, this is pieced together, Dan, doing it the way that that Jim and Al and I have done it for years, is looking and then weighing it and comparing it to what we know goes on doctrinally and has done in the past. It looks to me like some of them were deployed. They weren't moving straight uh, in uh, in columns. They began in columns, and then they began deploying as uh, so that the uh, vehicles, mutual support, this also follows Russian doctrine. And uh, they mentioned that there were BRDM recon vehicles in there, some sort of armored personnel carriers. I haven't gotten what that is, but 10 T-72 tanks. And uh, Jim will tell you right there, 10 T-72 tanks. Well, that's an uh, 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 understrength motorized uh, rifle tank company, the uh, Russians tend to try to have uh, 14 in those, but uh, in a classic Russian World War II uh, tank company would have three three tank platoons and then one or two tanks in the command section. So if they had 10, that's a company supporting this uh, three uh, infantry company, three uh, mechanized infantry company uh, uh, operation. This is a serious attack, and I'm not making a pun on Syria. I uh, don't know what they had for in, in terms of artillery or indirect indirect fire support, but they they were making preparations and uh, indicating they were going to make a serious assault on this American manned position, and they got slaughtered. So if put and, and, and the other thing that I think is accurate out of some of the reports I've read. Uh, it's they, the Russians would not have tried this without clearance, direction, orders from, quote, the highest level. And in a dictatorship, the highest level is the dictator. That would be um, KGB colonel retired Vladimir Putin giving the nod and say, go ahead and do it and see what happens. Well, they got slaughtered. We're going with a figure right now that there were 200 Russians killed in it. All right. I can believe that. I've seen some more higher figures. Uh, don't know. We'll just go with 200, 250 right now. But that is without a single American or Syrian Kurd loss. And the world of armed conflict, military confrontation, even in a hybrid war situation, to use that term, which I, I really don't like it, Dan, and Jim knows this, and so does Al Novi Jim doesn't like it either. This is just the same stuff 
using uh, new technology that's gone on forever when someone wants to fight uh, a below the all-out threshold uh, war and at, at times escalated. Well, this was a, an escalation and a simmering war and deciding we're going to go after our so-called American ally. You know, that was a bunch of baloney that the U.S. And, and Russia were allies, but that was uh, the way the Obama administration decided to handle uh, cooperating with Russia in, in Syria. Uh, so anyway, the Russians decided to launch uh, an attack. It's, just, it's similar to many of the things they do in eastern Ukraine, where they sit around and there's low level sniping and maneuvering and like, and then suddenly there's a, a brief lurch, lurching attack to seize seize a position from the Ukrainian forces. The Ukrainians do it back to, uh, back to the Russians, but it's the Russians who've been on the offensive. Well, here in a Russian, uh, a Russian offensive of a type to see what the U.S. would do uh, was utterly smashed. And then today, uh, Putin is telling the United States he can nuke us. So, uh, I, I, Jim, do you think I'm I'm out of line? Th thinking there might no, be no, 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 no. When when Putin says he when threatens to use nukes, it means he's saying, "Okay, you beat me. Let's talk." I think so too. That's a darn good way to put it. Yeah, I think we'll wrap it up right there, and uh, we'll talk to you, gentlemen, next time.